Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to 90 Day with Mary Jane Kay. Today, I'll be breaking down Before the 90 Days, Season 5, Episode 12, Head Games. The episode starts with Gino expressing his concern with possibly having to remove his treasured hat if Jasmine's mom, who Jasmine described as very religious, wants to pray before the meal. It would only be for a few minutes out of respect to Jasmine's mom, but Gino, who has already bought the ring, knows Jasmine's mom is very traditional and protective of Jasmine, and Gino also knows his mom, her mom's acceptance, or lack thereof, is a deal breaker, insists that if they pray, the hat stays on. Gino violated Jasmine in the worst way possible by sending her nudes to his ex, and no other woman in the world would take that gross-looking dick face, who probably has a micropenis back, but against all odds, Jasmine took him back and gave him a second chance because they are both nuts, and I also believe every pot has a lid. Jasmine gave Gino a second chance, and Gino already has had to remove his hat once for security at the airport when they flew to Nightmare Island. So why the fuck can he remove the hat for a minute or two for Jasmine's mom out of respect? I get he's uncomfortable, but he made Jasmine incredibly uncomfortable when he violated her trust big time and she gave him a second chance when no other woman in the world would. I don't care how much anxiety he has or how nervous he is. Why the fuck can't he be removing his fucking hat out of respect to her mom just for a few minutes? Gino's hair situation is bad. It's bald to to the skin on top and on the sides, but in the back of his head, he leaves what hair is left clipped short but longer than the no hair on the rest of his head. My advice would be shave it all, rock the bald look, accept who you are. It's kind of sad that he's like 50 and so uncomfortable in his skin that he needs the hat. Lots of men are bald. It's not that big a deal. He should be grateful that he isn't disabled or sick with cancer or something really much worse. He's really superficial and vain and gross over really, really minor things. It's very weird. And I think it's very selfish and weak of Gino if he can't do Just this one little thing for Jasmine, especially when she gave him a second chance. If he really wants to marry her, the mom must be on board and Jasmine let him know that. So either he's a chicken shit who is scared people will laugh at his hair or he really doesn't want to marry Jasmine. I understand people can be very cruel. Not everyone will be good and kind and decent. And people will judge a book by its cover, whether it's right or not. But you have to be comfortable with who you are, even the parts of you you don't like, and you have to just grow a thicker skin and live. I don't get why he cares so much what people will say about his hair or lack thereof. People will say a few cruel things and move on. So what? Is it worth losing Jasmine or the mom's disapproval for two minutes without the hat? Gino and Jasmine get to Jasmine's mom's house to meet the mom and the sister. Gino feels nervous. There are a lot of things he isn't supposed to say or do around Jasmine's mom. Jasmine just told Gino he might have to take off his hat, but his hat is like surrogate hair, Gino explains, so he isn't comfortable with removing it. Well, Jasmine wasn't comfortable with Gino sending her nudes to his ex or with the fact that he had sugar babies he paid for dinner and sex, but miraculously she forgave him and gave him a second chance when I don't know one woman who would. So can he forgo two minutes of comfort to respect Jasmine's mom? Gino says it's a big moment and he has a lot on his mind. If he wants to propose to Jasmine, he knows he needs to get the mom's blessing. It can make or break their relationship. Jasmine tells Gino to be himself. Cecilia, Jasmine's mom, says in her confessional scene that her first impression of Gino is that the age difference is obvious. She's very overprotective. So there are things she wants to know and understand about Gino and the relationship. 
Jasmine asks her sister Liz what she thinks of Gino. No one seems impressed. She unenthusiastically says, he's nice. The mom asks why Gino doesn't have kids at his age. Gino says it didn't happen for him. Cecilia asks Jasmine if she thought about the age difference and Gino's age. Her mom tells Jasmine, when you were born, he was like your, si your sister Liz's age. And Liz, her sister, is 18 now. So when Jasmine was born, Gino was 18. Jasmine says, wow. Gino says he sees no problem with it. There's a lot of couples that have large age gaps. And Jasmine tells her mom that Gino says it's common that there are age gaps in couples. She says, mm-hmm. And she looks at Gino like she just got a whiff of shit. Cecilia asks Jasmine if she has thought about it. Jasmine says yes, although he is a little older than her. He's a nice man and he loves her. She just responds, uh-huh, very unimpressed. Cecilia rocks so far. I wonder what Cecilia would think about the nudes her daughter sent Gino before they ever even met in person and the nudes that Gino then forwarded to his ex-girlfriend. Gino says Jasmine's mom is literally his age, maybe one or two years older than Gino, so he thinks it's an awkward question about the age gap. Gino is fidgeting. He's making very weird facial expressions. He just looks like a ball of anxiety. He says he can't understand Cecilia's words, but clearly she has concerns and it makes Gino feel tense. Cecilia cooked for everyone and they sit to eat. Jasmine tells her mom before you do the prayer and she explains to her mom about Gino not removing his hat. Jasmine tells her mom Gino isn't comfortable removing his hat for the prayer. Everyone stares daggers at Gino and he's making awkward expressions fidgeting around like a kid. He says he has concerns about Jasmine's mom liking him, but he's not comfortable taking his hat off. He feels that things are piling up against him and he thinks it will be hard to get Jasmine's mom's blessing. Gino can't control the age gap or a lot of the mom's other concerns, but he is in control of showing respect and removing his hat for a quick moment, and he should. He is not a victim of the big bad wolf. Cecilia just smiles as a light cynical mm-hmm, and she chuckles cynically and shakes her head in absolute disbelief. She says, I don't know, Jasmine. Will Gino remove the hat or won't he? We are left in a short suspense as we head to Tanzania with Kim and Usman. They have just taken the romantic spice tour in Zanzibar, and now Usman is revealing his secret about what the song Zara is about. Kim already has her usual, usual resting bitch face before she even hears what Usman has to say. She looks like a grandma from hell. Pursed lips, fist on chin with her cheerleader halfway up, high pony hairstyle and the hoops, her eyes shooting daggers. Ugh, I wouldn't want to be around that. Usman says he wants to tell Kim that there is this lady Zara. Usman was with her before. Then he started talking to Kim for about two weeks. And then he started talking to Zara two weeks into when they started talking. Usman says Kim needs to remember when they started talking, it wasn't a relationship. There weren't feelings yet two weeks into when they started talking. And he was basically talking to a stranger online. So it was just a friendship at that point. Kim asks Usman what he is saying right now. Usman says he is telling Kim just so she's aware. And Kim asks, why are you telling me now? Why ruin my effing day? Usman says he's not ruining the day. He just wants to be honest. He asks if there is anything wrong with him telling the secret to Kim that, that he wants to reveal to her. There is something wrong with him not telling Kim up front. He should have told her when they started having feelings. Just so you know, two weeks in when we were talking as friends, I did meet someone, blah, blah, blah. I, that would have been very easy for him to do much earlier on. Uh, and it was wrong of him, but I'm sure Kim's reaction will be disproportionate for sure. Kim says there's something wrong with this. She tells him everything. She's always transparent with him. And she asks, how dare he keep a secret from her? 
Usman says because back then they weren't in a relationship, so he didn't think she should know about it. Kim says it doesn't matter why Usman didn't tell her. Usman says it does matter because they weren't in a relationship for him to mention that he started talking to this other girl. They were only friends, so why would he at that point mention it to her? Kim says she has been loyal this whole fucking time. I really doubt, she keeps mentioning loyalty. I really doubt anyone is knocking down her door to like, like she has a line of men. So it's like difficult for her to be loyal. I'm sure Kim was loyal because she wanted to be, but also realistically, how many men is she going to have who are, would go after her, pursuing her eagerly, knocking down her door? I don't think so. Kim starts getting to the point where she's going to go off on Usman and she asks why he's telling her now and she keeps asking over and over. She says, are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Before she even lets Usman finish what he's going to say. He keeps saying he's telling her now because now they're in a relationship so he needs to tell her now because she needs to know. Kim again says, you're telling me now when I've been loyal this whole time. She tells Usman, you make me look like a fool, yo. (laughs) It's so funny the way she talks, honestly. Kim and Usman are in confessional. She says when she brought the EP, his single, and she asked him who Zara was, he didn't tell her Zara was someone he was dating. Usman told her Zara was just a name he picked out for all the women across the world. If a musician titles a song with a woman's name, clearly there's a reason for that. No one's going to name a song Leah and then when asked say, oh, Leah is just a name to represent all the women on the planet. She's really gullible and stupid to have believed that in the first place. Usman also should have been honest with her. He was wrong to wait in telling her. She shouldn't be so gullible at 50 as well. Kim says she never knew Usman was dating Zara back then. Usman says he was in a relationship with Zara, but she broke up with him and he was hurt because he truly loved her. Kim asks when Usman ended it with Zara and he says it's been about four months now. He asks what Kim is saying. Kim says, wow, four months ago, Usman says that is when he released the EP. Kim says, we've been talking for a year. She says, that's crazy as hell because she thought she was the one that was repairing his heart and his trust. Kim is totally delusional. Usman tells Kim she did repair his heart and his trust. Yes, with the PS5 and the MacBook Pro and the begging him for sex, I'm sure he he got soothed and healed. I'm sure he got a little healing and a little soothing to his broken heart. Kim says, during that time that Kim was putting this work in, He was dating a whole nother chick, and Kim is pissed. She says she feels stupid she even came down to meet Usman in the first place. Tells Usman he can keep his little Zara, he can keep his little bleep, and when they bleeped it out, I think what she said was dick, but she is ready to go. She heads to the car. Usman asks, Kimberly, why are you like this? Kimberly says they spent so much time on the phone, so much time texting and video chatting. And if she had known he was in a full-blown relationship and fell in love with this woman enough to write a song about her, she would have stopped things with Usman and backed away. She says she would never in a million years have tried to pursue someone in a relationship. She says she was cheated on and she would never do that to anybody else. Kim is worried now that Usman might do the same thing to her that he did with Tazara. She will not allow herself to be cheated on. Usman tells Kim on the car ride home that this shouldn't be a wrong thing, meaning him telling her now that he's really trying to do the right thing, she should take it in a different way. Kim tells Usman it is the wrong thing. He told her he loved her, and now he's going to tell her about Zara. Kim wants to go back to the hotel and make travel arrangements to go home. She says she came down there to watch Usman do a video about another girl. Usman says initially he sang the song for Zara, but now they aren't together, and it doesn't mean he still has feelings for her. Kim asks, but why bring it up to me now? 
Usman says, because now we're in a relationship right now, so now is the time to be telling her about this. And Kim asks, are we? And at that point, Usman tries to take Kim's hand, and he says, you know I love you, right? And she pulls away and tells him to get off of her. Kim says, maybe they should go their separate ways. And Usman asks, separate ways in which way? I think he means what Kim meant by that. He asks, like, for today? You mean go our separate ways today? And Kim says, no, go our separate ways like in life. And she starts crying. In confessional, she says she went through a lot to be there with Usman. She left her mom, who she takes care of. She left everything she knows just to see if this relationship will work. Now Kim feels like, what was the point of all that? She says everything was based on a lie, and she doesn't know what could possibly fix this. Next up are Ben and Mahogany. Ben has now been in Peru for three days, and the whole thing is different than what he expected. He mentions that Mahogany didn't show up at the airport because her parents didn't approve, and last night he met with them to calm their fears and to win them over. Ben says it was very obvious that they were very skeptical, but more importantly than that, he started losing trust in Mahogany because she hasn't been transparent with him. Ben calls his friend, the same friend he called before for advice when he made the plan to meet Mahogany at the restaurant in her hometown. Ben tells Jason that Mahogany is real and she's as sweet as he thought she was, but then he went to her house and things got weird because from what he knew, she was living with her parents and now all of a sudden she lives independently in an expensive condo that he could tell was not her house because there were surfboards there and bunk beds and a tourist pamphlet. He says it was obviously a weekly rental place that Mahogany was staying in and saying that it's her home where she lives. Jason's friend asks if Ben asked her about the odd stuff in her environment like the decorative surfboard and the bunk beds. Ben says she seemed embarrassed about it because Ben knows she doesn't know how to surf. Honestly, that surfboard looked like a decoration or a prop. It didn't look like an actual surfboard that one would use. I don't know why the surfboard is tripping him up so much. She said the place came that way, furnished that way. Ben's friend asks if the apartment is nice and Ben says it's super nice or marble floors, it's expensive, that... And he said either they are really wealthy, like Mahogany and her family, or she is renting the place. Ben tells Jason he thinks her parents were in on it because they said she lived there, but it was weird and obviously a vacation rental, according to Ben. Ben says another bombshell dropped. He thought she was 24, but she actually just turned 22. Jason says that's not so good. He asks if Ben has taken a moment to himself to have a Ben mental moment. Ben says he has been trying to process, but he's not at the point with Mahogany yet where he wants to confront her. He says they need time together to bond, and then they will be able to talk better. Jason tells Ben to look for a pattern man. Look for a pattern of deceit. Ben is going to see Mahogany again. He knows there are things that aren't adding up, and he's trying to create some emotional distance, but it's hard because his heart is in this. He wants to investigate who Mahogany is further. Ben was happy to hear from Mahogany after abruptly leaving the meeting with her parents. He thinks Mahogany felt bad about how awkward things were the night before, so she has asked Ben to meet with her friends. Mahogany explains that her two besties will meet Ben today. They only have two weeks to get to know each other, so she wants her family and friends to meet Ben. Her parents met Ben, but they still have doubts about him and questions that haven't been answered. They need more time to trust Ben. Mahogany says what happened last night with Ben was awkward and uncomfortable, so she wants to open up to him more. Mahogany's friends arrive. He asks if anyone is hombre, which means anyone a man. He meant to say hambre, or is anyone hungry? Hombre is man in Spanish. Hambre is hungry, hunger. 
Mahogany's friend Elizabeth has known Mahogany since school. She considers her a close friend. She says Mahogany surprises them because she only recently heard about Ben. She says when Mahogany told them about Ben's age, they were surprised. They never imagined Mahogany going out with someone so old. She says Ben is almost as old as their parents. They're all eating ice cream very awkwardly, and Ben asks her friends, can you tell me something about Mahogany that you love about her? Elizabeth says Mahogany is very responsible. You can trust her and count on her. Ben asks, can you tell me something that you would want me to know as her new boyfriend? Elizabeth tells Ben she didn't think he was her boyfriend, but Mahogany mentioned she had a friend from another country coming to visit. Ben asks Mahogany, so you say we're friends? Her friends say, yes, we were under the impression that you guys were just friends. So in front of her friends, he asks Mahogany, am I your boyfriend or just your friend? He asks, who am I to you? All of this going on in front of her friends. She says, I think a friend. She says, Ben never asked her to be a, a, in a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. Mahogany and Confessional says, Ben brought up the topic of marriage way before over chat, but how was she supposed to know he would be just as serious in person? Ben says, surprise, like he's surprised by this. Ben says they're pl- they were planning a family together. They were planning on getting married. They were having intimate conversations. And he traveled 4,000 miles to be with her. And all of a sudden, he's not her boyfriend. Ben is shocked. He doesn't understand where Mahogany is coming from. I'm not surprised. Mahogany said she needed time when she met him to even decide if this would be a relationship she wanted to pursue that could become a boyfriend-girlfriend thing. I think she was clear, and he made assumptions based on his feelings and projections and a few sweet words over texting. He's super gullible. He says he's confused by everything. Next up are Mike and Jimena. Mike tells Jimena he loves her very much, and he asks her if she loves him. She says, no, she doesn't love him. She explains to Mike that she loves him, but she isn't in love with him because they haven't lived together for a long period of time. She tells Mike love is a big word. Mike tells Jimena she always told him that she loved him and that he is her life. Jimena says yes, but she can't be in love with him. Being in love with someone takes a lot of time living together. Mike says just a couple of months ago, Jimena was so excited to marry him. So when Jimena tells Mike she doesn't love him and love is too big of a word, it makes him feel devastated for their relationship and even more confused. Mike tells Jimena she changed so much from the last time they saw each other. Jimena says because she has a lot of doubts about everything. Mike says, let's communicate. What are those doubts? What are your doubts? Jimena says they'll talk about it later. She's sleepy. She wants to put the kids to bed. Jimena explains that a couple of months ago, she was super in love with Mike. She was very happy, but she doesn't know what happened now. She loves him. She appreciates him, but she doesn't feel good with him. There are things that make her uncomfortable, that annoy her, and she can't lie to him. She's just being honest with him. She doesn't want to hurt him, so for now she needs to think things through. The producer asks Mike if he's okay, and he says not really. He tells the producer it's confusing to him because she always says, I love you, and now she's changing her mind. As Mike is holed up in the tiny kid's bed in the kid's room, Jimena is sleeping with her kids in her room, and she's taking pics, taking selfies with her kids, and she's totally unaffected by this. Mike says she says she has doubts and he wants to know what her doubts are because he wants to work on things. He says Jimena's not perfect either. Mike says a relationship is two-sided. He can't say he'll change this, 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 and this if she's not going to understand and do anything herself and make an effort herself either. 
He doesn't know what to do. He says tonight he really doesn't want to be there at Jimena's. I think Jimena did try to love Mike initially, but Mike is so needy and he says, I love you. He's very clingy. He needs a lot of space. And I think his behaviors grossed her out. And for her, it was more about the money and also about having more opportunity and a better life for her kids. And I think she really likes space and she's just decided she cannot do this any longer. Once he said no to her boob surgery, she just decided she just doesn't want to do it anymore. I do think she's using him for money. And initially when she, I, I did have doubts when he proposed, but then I saw her sweet reaction and I thought, okay, maybe it's for real, even though I had reservations in my mind. But I do think a hundred percent, obviously she's using him for money. I also think initially she did have some affection for him, not an in love amount, but she had a small amount of at least willingness to, um, look at his good side and tolerate some of his nasty behaviors in the hopes that he would change. But when she realized he would always be clingy and needy and need constant reassurance and mothering and attention and that the money wasn't going to be whatever she wanted whenever, she realized, I can't put up with this. I think both Mike and Jimena are annoying. Mike is way too gullible and clingy and his nasty habits would turn off most women. And I don't buy ADHD as an excuse. And Jimena did try to see the good in Mike and ignore his habits, but his clinginess annoyed the fuck out of her. She was willing to ignore it to improve her situation, but I think she realized his intensity will just keep rising over time, and he's not going to eventually settle and need less from her, need less affection. He's not going to turn it down a notch. Plus, he wasn't going to fork over the money for Jimena's every whim, and I think she was expecting that. She was expecting Mike to be her daddy warbucks or her money tree, and that's very fucked up. But also Mike's appearance and nasty habits plus the amount of reassurance and affection and clinginess he needs is way too much. Next up are Memphis and Hamza. They had an argument regarding Memphis telling Hamza she stayed at her ex's for four nights when they first started talking. And Memphis was unhappy before that because Hamza wants to delay the wedding. It's the next morning and Memphis asks Hamza how he feels. He feels bad. Memphis said when she first told Hamza the reason she went to her ex-husband's house, he empathized and understood, but it's been a couple of days since then, and things have been off between them. He tells Memphis that she likes problems, and she says she doesn't like problems. Memphis says the language barrier makes it hard for her to explain everything. Memphis told Hamza they should meet with a translator because if they don't communicate, she doesn't know how they're going to be able to get over the issues. Hamza tells her today with the translator is a very important day because he isn't happy. And Memphis tells Hamza they will talk about it. Hamza says he can't stop worrying that Memphis might still have a relationship with her ex. He thinks maybe there are still feelings between Memphis and her ex-husband. Hamza thinks the translator will tell him all he needs to know about the doubts he has and answer all of his questions. He's also worried that something could ruin his relationship with Memphis if he hears something bad from the translator. They meet Hamadi, the translator. Memphis asks Hamza what he has to say. He says he wants to talk about her ex first. He says something happened to Memphis in her past, and she went to her ex's house and stayed for four days. During the time, he was talking to her, and she didn't mention it back then to him. Hamza says he's an Eastern man, different from the rest of the men that Memphis has been with, and that Memphis thinks it's normal and acceptable to be friends with her ex, and Hamza doesn't find it to be normal or acceptable. The translator tells Memphis what Hamza said. Hamza says that he doesn't like the idea of them arguing one day and then her going over to her exes and staying there, sleeping there for days like she's done in her past behavior. Memphis says no, she won't go to her ex if they fight. 
The translator tells Hamza to forget about it, but Hamza tells him they are still talking. Memphis says yes. She acknowledges they still message each other. They have to have conversations about their kids together. Her ex-husband is also the father of her children, and obviously they have to co-parent and have some type of communication and connection. Memphis raises her voice, and Hamza asks the translator why she is yelling. Hamza tells her to speak calmly. Memphis says she yells because Hamza doesn't understand that she has to have a relationship with the father of her kids. Hamza says he doesn't like that, and he noticed that Memphis gets angry easily. He doesn't like that either. She yells at him a lot. He doesn't like that either. Memphis says she knows she has a strong personality. She can get angry easily, and she knows she has to be more understanding and patient, and that's something she knows she has to work on, and she will. Memphis tells Hamza she wants him to understand how much she has riding on marrying him and bringing him back to America. She wants him to know how much she is doing for their relationship. She's going against her family members and her friends who don't believe in Hamza and they don't believe he has the right intention or, or that he's a good person. They think Hamza is using Memphis just to come to America and she is still marrying him because she loves him and she feels like he loves her too. And then she starts crying and Hamza gets up and he kisses her forehead and she says she appreciates that it was a very sweet moment Hamza says Memphis is like a part of him Memphis says it was eye-opening to clear the air and see each other's perspectives she hopes over time that they learn how to communicate themselves because they won't always have a translator when there are problems and they're both happy with the end result of speaking with the translator back to Gino and Jasmine Gino says things are awkward Jasmine Jess pre-warned her mom that Gino isn't comfortable removing his hat for prayer. The mom says she doesn't know about this, but if Jasmine is happy with this, then okay, and she does the prayer. Gino says he isn't sure if Jasmine's mom likes him or not. It's hard to tell, but his future depends on her mom's approval, so he can't leave tonight without the blessing of Jasmine's mom, Cecilia. Gino asks Jasmine's mom if Jasmine had a lot of boyfriends growing up. Jasmine's mom says no. Gino says because Jasmine is so beautiful, he would think all the guys were chasing after her. Cecilia says when Jasmine was a teenager, she had power over Jasmine and she didn't allow Jasmine to have boyfriends. It wasn't allowed. And Jasmine's mom is very displeased with the subject and she asks that the subject be changed. Cecilia tells producers that Jasmine is very uninhibited and she's a fighter, but she's her first daughter and she is overprotective in this situation because even though your kids grow into adults, you still see them as your kids. Then they bring out an old photo album and go through it, and Gino tells Cecilia that he loves Jasmine and he would like her blessing before he proposes to Jasmine. Jasmine's mom asks Jasmine, tell me, Jasmine, you want to go to another country? Jasmine says, yes, she does, and she tells her Gino wants something serious with her. He's committed. Was he committed and serious when he sent the nudes to his ex? Jasmine's mom says if that's her decision... Uh, she's going to be fine with it, but she isn't thrilled about it. And she says she's worried Jasmine will go to the U.S. and it will be a different world for her. She says the fear in all relationships is whether it will work out or not. Cecilia is somewhat afraid Jasmine might end up alone. If only she knew Gino's behaviors. She says looking at Jasmine, she knows her face when it radiates happiness and Jasmine deserves to be happy. She says she sees that Jasmine made up her mind, but she tells Gino she adores her daughter Jasmine and that Gino is taking her treasure away with him. She tells him to make Jasmine happy and take care of her. Jasmine feels relieved that her mom approved, but Jasmine says at the same time, they just went through something very crazy in their relationship with Gino texting his ex her nudes, so it might be too soon for him to propose, and it makes her nervous to even think about it. Back to Jimena and Mike. 
Mike has been in Colombia a few days now, and a couple of things Jimena said were disturbing and upsetting for him. He is starting to have doubts in the relationship, so he's calling his friend John to be a sounding board for him to tell him how it is. Mike tells his friend things aren't going as planned. Jimena said things that upset him, like she needs space, and she asks Mike to not be so lovey and attentive. His friend says she needs space. How does somebody in a long-distance relationship in another country need space? How much more space do you need when you've only seen somebody on two different trips and the last trip was a couple months ago? His friend tells Mike it's a huge, huge, huge red flag. He tells Mike him and I know she has him by the balls, but that Mike created the situation and that Mike needs to control it or it will control him. And Mike friend says Mike doesn't need that. He says it's a partnership, 50-50 or whatever ratio Mike wants, but they both have to reciprocate. His friend says if he wants to get played the way he's getting played, he doesn't have to go all the way to Colombia. He can get played right there in New York or New Jersey. His friend tells Mike if he wants a girl to use him for certain things and in exchange they will give him sex and love and attention, they can set it up back in America in the comfort of his own home minus the plane rides. His friend wants to keep it real and let Mike see what's up because he doesn't think Mike sees what's up. He tells Mike Jimena is playing him. Mike says he's starting to see it, he's confused, and he tells his friend he's sleeping in the kid's bed in a separate bed away from Jimena. His friend asks why he would be sleeping in the kid's bed when he's on a trip to see his future wife. Mike says Jimena wants to postpone the wedding and she said she doesn't love him anymore. His friend tells him he'd be out of there. He tells Mike he spent countless amounts of time, energy, and money to make it happen during a pandemic. He asks who is benefiting from everything that Mike does, and he says Jimena is the one benefiting. Mike says he is starting to see it more and more that the relationship seems one-sided, that she wants him to change and work on everything, but Jimena has to be willing to also put in some effort, and he isn't getting that effort from Jimena at all. The friend tells Mike Jimena's true colors are starting to come out, and it usually happens after a couple of months in a relationship. He says Mike is looking for a companion, but his friend doesn't think Jimena is also looking for a companion. Mike's friend says Jimena was probably looking to get out of there, but she realizes that Mike isn't the one, and maybe there are things about Mike that are bothering her. The friend says these things that bother her are things that are innate in Mike, that make Mike who Mike is. They aren't changeable things. Mike tells his friend these are great points that he's making, and he's starting to see it more and more. I think the friend did a beautiful job of being real with Mike in a really clear way, and it's nice that his friend is having his back, bringing it down piece by piece. Mike tells his friend he's still slightly hopeful it can work out. I don't understand why Mike isn't already on a plane home, why he wasn't going on a plane home after the first day. You can lead the horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Mike asks if it's possible for his friend's fiance. Nelsey, to translate, just so Mike can be sure he's not missing anything in translation. Mike wants to get him and his true feelings out so he knows what to do from here. I really think her true feelings are already out. Jimena wouldn't buy a dress until he paid for her boobs. She said she doesn't love him. She wants him in a separate bed, among other things. What more does Mike need? It's right there in front of his face. Nelsey, his friend's fiance, who is fluent in Spanish, is going to help him translate. Mike says he really needs her help because there are things Jimena is feeling and trying to tell him that he doesn't understand. She already told him. There's nothing that he needs to understand further. She told him. He isn't understanding because he doesn't want to understand because he wants the idea of love he pictured in his head. So even though reality and that idea in his mind don't match up and it's obviously not love, he still wants to try to make it fit desperately when it's all obvious and in his face. He shouldn't need any more explanation. 
His friend says his fiance will do it, and he knows Mike is looking for the light at the end of the tunnel, but the only light at the end of the tunnel Mike needs to see is the door to the plane back to New York. That's the only light Mike needs to see. This guy, Mike's friend, is an amazing friend to him. To most people, all these red flags and all of this obvious stuff that the friend took time to explain and break down for Mike would be super, super, super obvious. Yet Mike's friend was very patient with Mike and he had a conversation with him and he was very frank and that's a really good friend to have, very loyal. Most men won't sit like that. They'd be like, why is my friend not getting the obvious? They'd be breaking his balls, laughing at his expense. But no, this guy, he was real with it and he was patient and he let Mike know what's what without breaking his balls. And I thought that was awesome. He was direct, but he didn't really... um blame Mike or or make him feel like he's an idiot. And I thought that that was awesome. Mike says he understands John, his friend, is telling him that the relationship won't work, but he loves Jimena. So he's hoping that if he better understands Jimena's concerns, then they can figure out a way to fix the relationship. I don't understand why Mike is taking less than he deserves and why he wants to fix something that isn't there in the first place to be fixing. He may think he loves her, but he doesn't. He loves the idea of love, and she doesn't love him. It's not love. There's nothing there at all to fix. Next up are Ben and Mahogany. Ben is looking at old texts from three months ago with Mahogany, reminding himself that it was real. This is so weird. He is, in reality, seeing the truth, and he wants the idea in his head so bad to be what he imagined in his mind to be reality that he wants to ignore reality and the truth and read old texts to deceive himself to continue on rather than look at the truth in front of his face in front of him look at the reality of mahogany in person and differentiate that the texts don't really mean anything at all it's so fucking weird he's using old texts to convince himself to override the reality right in front of him Ben says he isn't crazy. He says yesterday he was shocked to find out that Mahogany doesn't consider him to be her boyfriend. He says it was hurtful. He's reading texts. He, he said to her, I really love to hear you tell me that you love me. And she wrote back, you know, baby, I love you. Anyone can say anything on FaceTime or text or on the phone, but you don't know them until you meet them in person and you know them over time and you really live with them for a long time. Ben is so gullible, he thinks because he talked to a stranger for three months and they said everything that he wants to hear, he believed that that was genuine, he believed that that was love, that they'd get married and have a family with a person that he never met until now. He met her, the reality is different than the fantasy ideal he had, and instead of accepting the red flags and turning back and going home, he's reading old texts to spark faith in pursuing mahogany further. This guy has a screw or two or maybe ten loose. He responded to the text Mahogany wrote back, um, and these are texts from three months ago, nothing recent. Thank you, baby. I must say, God is calling me to you. He is calling me to start a family with you. I'm very excited to begin. God, the supernatural being in the sky, is that what's leading Ben to Mahogany, or is it Ben's dick and his ego? I wonder. Mahogany responded that she wishes to have many children with Ben and that he'd be an amazing father. Ben says he isn't sure what changed, that his brain is telling him everything is falling apart and to throw in the towel, but his heart demands that he uses every minute of the trip to make the relationship work. Make it work, Ben, or force it to work. This guy is annoying AF, and he doesn't have emotional intelligence or self-awareness to even be in a relationship at all, let alone have kids or a family. 
Friend says he called Mahogany and asked her to go on a trip with him. He's confused, but he wants to give her the benefit of the doubt because she is young and this is new and intimidating for her. He hopes the getaway with Mahogany will bring them to a deeper level where they can really connect and bond and they can start falling in love again. He's 52, she's 22, his daughter's age. This guy is a total delusional perv. Ben tells Mahogany he's happy she is there with him. Mahogany says it was awkward with her friends. She said it was surprising to her that Ben assumed he was her boyfriend when they never talked about it or defined where they were in the relationship. She says when they texted, she told Ben she loved him, but that doesn't mean they are together. She says they still haven't even gotten to know each other yet in person. They are driving to the getaway in silence, very awkward silence, and Ben says it's very weird. There are no stop signs and traffic lights at intersections. And she just says yes. She seems super annoyed. She says that the connection with Ben now is much different than before when they were talking through text. They were more affectionate before, and now there are moments of silence. Mahogany asks Ben to break the awkward silence if he knows any other languages. And he knows Hebrew. He studies the Bible. She asks Ben how Jesus was able to endure so much suffering here in this world. Ben says before Jesus went to the cross, he spent several hours in a garden alone preparing for suffering. This is a really enthralling conversation, my God. Mahogany says Jesus was the strongest man in the world. Ben agrees because Jesus has been through it all. Ben says when we go to Jesus and ask for help, we are able to find peace. This conversation is just earth shattering. I mean, wow. The first day they had the conversation about food and oatmeal and now they're talking about God and Jesus. Wow. I really want to poke my eyes out if I was mahogany. Ben says people ask him what he is looking for, especially when it comes to a girlfriend. They ask him, what are you just looking for a 20 year old girl? And he answers, no, he isn't looking for a girl. He isn't looking for happiness. What he is really looking for in life is peace. And Ben thinks that peace comes from God. He says when he prays and tries to get his life balanced and right, especially when things go wrong, when he finds peace when he prays and happiness is up to him. Happiness is a choice that he has to make. He has to choose to be happy and have happiness. He's looking for a partner, someone to come alongside him and help him to change the world and to tell people about God and to have a good relationship with him and how to live a happy life. Ben says there was awkwardness at first, but then they started talking about God and their core values and why they are together and the tension broke and they started talking. And Mahogany asks Ben to tell him a joke, but it, you have to be very fluent in the English language to understand this joke. He says a three-legged dog walked into the bar and said, who shot my paw? Ha ha ha, funny, hilarious. Ben feels a burden has been lifted and Mahogany can finally relax and feel what she felt when they were first texting. He wants to go back to that Mahogany that loved him unconditionally. Mahogany says the trip is very important for her. She's nervous, but she wants to see what happens. Ben wants to keep tomorrow light and fun and to see how it goes. He wants to have deep conversations to know where Mahogany's heart is. And he says the next few days will be very telling. Back to Memphis and Hamza. They're going to Hamam Zariba, a nice place. I'm sure I butchered it. Hamza feels closer to Memphis after getting the translator, so he has decided to take her to a romantic historical place, Zariba Olia, a beautiful city surrounded by mountains. He wants to show Memphis how people lived back in the day. 
Hamza also has another surprise for Memphis. They check out beautiful old historical ruins. It was very, very cool. Memphis asks if there are snakes. Hamza assures her that there are none. He tells Memphis to wait a minute. He'll be back. And Memphis is left in this isolated ruins all by herself. She's looking around. She's scared about who might come out and kidnap her because it's super isolated and she's in a foreign place and there are random animals all around. She's scared she'll get eaten. Hamza has come out. He's now changed into a more dressy outfit. He's wearing white pants and a shirt and a belt. He's dressed much more formally to surprise Memphis. And he takes her to a beautiful spot in the ruins with a nice view. Hamza says he knows Memphis was sad and he is sorry, but he is happy now. And he kneels down and tells Memphis she is his happiness. And he asks, do you want to marry me? She laughs and says, do I? She asks, do you trust me? And he says, yes. She asks, do you trust me about everything? And he says, yes. So she says, okay, I'll marry you. Hamza says they have been engaged online for a while because he proposed her online, but he wanted to surprise her and propose in person as well. Despite the problems they faced, Hamza wanted to prove that he was serious about their relationship and all of his doubts were solved. Hamza says Memphis has a great soul. She has her own way. She has a strong personality and that's why he loves her. Back to Jasmine and Gino. They are dancing on their balcony. Gino feels good after getting Cecilia's blessing like a huge weight has been lifted off of his shoulders. Gino feels excitement and energy and Jasmine is teaching Gino to dance because he's the worst dancer ever. Gino says they have been through a lot together and he feels like their bond is getting stronger. But now he has just a week left of his trip and he wants to propose within the next few days. It's exciting, but it's a big step and he's trying to work it all out in his head. Gino calls his brother Tony. They are really close and he is sharing his proposal plans with Tony and getting his feedback. Tony asks Gino if they have gotten along well and Gino says yeah in a very high-pitched way and then he says they had some problems and arguments but now things are going well. Tony asks what they argue about and Gino tells Tony he was texting his ex. Tony tells Gino that's a problem and he asks Gino why he would be doing that. Gino says he texted his ex a long time ago and he was texting a pic of Jasmine that he shouldn't have and she blew up. She wanted to break up and it was very bad. And Tony says that's not good. Gino says they made up and the last couple of days have been really good. He says he is planning to propose. Tony asks if he's still going to go through with it right now, if right now is a good time to go through with it. And he says it's only been a couple of weeks. Gino says he and Jasmine are still in the early stages of being together in person, but it's been promising and he loves Jasmine very much. Tony says he doesn't know about the proposal, bringing her to America, and he says once Gino proposes and brings Jasmine to America, there won't be any turning back. It'll be a point of no return. He says also the fact, he's concerned about the fact that Gino said they had a lot of fights. Tony says if they can't get along in paradise, then this is as good as it's going to get. Gino says everyone has problems. No one's relationship is perfect. Gino says Jasmine and he are starting new there. There will be no more talking about any of the past stuff. He wants to talk about the present and the future. Tony says everyone is just concerned about Gino. And Gino says he can understand why his brother questions Gino wanting to propose so soon. His brother doesn't want Gino getting hurt. But Gino says he loves Jasmine and he wants to marry her. And it's worth the risk. Back to Ben and Mahogany. Ben says there have been lots of ups and downs, mostly downs, to be honest. Every morning, he does a meditation and prayer time to saturate his mind with things of God to prepare for the day. He reads some God stuff about forgiveness off of his phone, and he says every day he prepares for pain. So when he receives pain, he is prepared for it, and he is able to forgive it because he is centered. 
what the fuck went on in this guy's life for him to expect pain on a daily basis and to prepare for a daily ration of pain every day that he will have to forgive. You can't walk around expecting pain and what you expect in your mind is what you're going to get. People will hurt you. They will judge you. They will offend you. So what? Fuck them. Just live your life. This guy expects pain. And if you expect pain and you put that in your mind, you are going to find pain. Ben talks about having God's love flow through him. I think he uses God and the idea of a supernatural being in the sky to give him strength as some type of coping mechanism. Ben says it will be an awesome day, but he has to be ready for the pain. Everyone does. Everyone has to be ready for the pain. He says the last few days have been a roller coaster ride, but on the drive to the getaway, he finally felt like he connected with Mahogany in person. They go sand duning and they have a lot of fun, and then they're going to have a romantic dinner in the middle of the desert. Mahogany had fun doing all the sand duning activities with Ben. He's so creepy. On the ride back, he tells her he loves how the sun hits her face. When they get back to the dinner is set up, in the desert. It's a beautiful setup, very romantic. And they sit and Ben immediately has his hand like a magnet rubbing her lower back. This girl is 22. He's 52. She is exactly his daughter's age. I'd want the geriatric creep to get his hand off me. Mahogany says the trip is incredible. They're connecting, but she has questions for Ben. She asks what Ben was like at her age. He's 52. She's 22. So she's asking him as a 52 year old what he was like when he was her age. Ben says he was coming out of college, he wanted a wife and kids, and to be a pastor at a church. That was the plan, but it didn't work out. Because he got married, and when he got married, his wife and him had to ignore all of their problems, and they didn't communicate well because the church that they belonged to believed in perfectionism and that they had to be perfect and set their problems aside. But they weren't perfect, so what they had to do is push everything under the rug and hide all of their imperfections and all of their issues. And Mahogany says that's bad. Mahogany asks if Ben has a good relationship with his ex-wife now. Ben says no, he wouldn't say that they have a good relationship. Ben asks Mahogany why that's important. She says because Ben has a family with her. He has kids with his ex-wife. Ben says he has gotten therapy and counseling, which has helped. But the real problem is his ex-wife still hasn't forgiven him. But he tells Mahogany, let's talk about the present. Let's talk about now. He's trying to deflect because he knows He's trying to blame everything on his ex-wife and take no accountability whatsoever. Blaming her. It's her fault. He asks what changed from when they were texting and getting so close because when he found out they were just friends and not boyfriend and girlfriend, it hurt him. Mahogany says she's sorry, but she didn't know he assumed they were boyfriend and girlfriend because he never said let's be a couple. She asked how Ben skipped that step with her and how he made that assumption that it doesn't make sense for him to do that. Ben says he was saying they were going to have a family, that he was in love with her, and that the next step is an engagement, so he just assumed automatically that they were boyfriend and girlfriend. Ben says he sees that meant something very different for her. Mahogany says yes, for her it was just texting. She says for her it's normal before even starting a relationship to talk about things like marriage or family to know if they are on the same page. But Ben assumed they were already in a relationship. Mahogany asks Ben if he ever dated a 20-something before in his life. Ben says after his divorce, he dated someone who was 27 for three years and they were going to get married, but that 27-year-old did not accept Ben's kids. Mahogany says it's strange because first Ben told her that his wife didn't work out because it was the fault of their religion. Now Ben tells her he went out with a 27-year-old girl, but it was her fault it didn't work out because she did not accept his kids. So she asks, so what? So Ben is perfect and does absolutely nothing wrong? 
Ben says he feels like he doesn't have to defend his past because it's behind him now. Mahogany says she can't imagine a pastor who doesn't take responsibility for his mistakes. Good for Mahogany. I am so happy she is calling him out. She says it's immature and strange not to take responsibility, not to take accountability. Mahogany is worried that Ben isn't the same person she thought he was. She tells Ben she found things out now that don't add up. Ben says he doesn't think that it's fair that Mahogany is questioning his past when he hasn't been questioning all of the holes in her stories. Ben says every single day there seems to be another roadblock and he is starting to question whether Mahogany wants this relationship. Back to Kim and Usman. Usman says after their fight about Zara, Kim texted him and she told him she can no longer trust him and she wants to end things. Usman is angry because he thought he was doing the right thing, so he is returning the gifts Kim gave him, the PS5 and the MacBook Pro, because he doesn't agree with her behavior. Usman says if she doesn't respect him, at least she should respect the fact that he always tried to make sure Kim was happy. Kim says it's too much stress. She wants to go home, back to her regular life. Usman says, Kimberly, what have you asked me to do that I won't do to please you? Kim says there's not anything he hasn't done. Usman asks why she is doing this to him. He says he broke up with Zara before he ever started dating her, that it's not fair she blame him for that. He says even if she had sex or had other relationships before she visited Usman, he can't blame her for that because he knows he was not in a relationship with her at that point. Usman says all the time they were talking as friends, not as people in love in a relationship. They talked just as friends until now when he made her his girlfriend. Kim says it's frustrating that Usman doesn't get why she's upset. She isn't mad that he was in a relationship. She's mad he didn't tell her he was in a relationship when Kim told Usman she was falling in love with him and she wasn't dating anyone else. She says Usman should have made it clear to her that he was in a relationship and she would have walked away, but Usman didn't do that because he's selfish. Usman says part of him wants to stay to work things out, but he can't stop wondering if he's repeating the same mistakes he made before. Usman says his ex-wife, and I believe he's referring to baby girl Lisa, was controlling and quick to get angry at him, and he sees the same things in Kimberly. He can't accept that, and he won't compromise with anybody. Usman says you can either be with him for who he is, or you can leave. Usman thinks it's good for both Kim and himself to take space to think about what they want and where they're going with the relationship. Kim thinks it's better to just end it. Kim's crying. She says it's sad because she loves Usman. She doesn't understand how Usman can tell her he loves her, and then everything feels like a lie now. Back to Mike and Jimena. Mike says things have been tense since their conversation last night, but John's fiance, Nelsie, has agreed to translate, and they will have the convo at a restaurant to have some privacy away from the kids and the family. Mike only has a week left of his trip, and he needs to know where he and Jimena stand and if they have a future together. Jimena is done. She says, take out your computer, but I can't guarantee I'll talk to your friend. Jimena disagrees with Mike discussing their problems with his friends. She says a relationship is between two people. Jimena doesn't see how this will help. She doesn't seem to want to do it at all, but Mike was insisting on it, so she agreed. Mike FaceTimes Nelsie, and he asks her to translate. He tells Nelsie Jimena and him had a conversation last night, and she said she doesn't love him anymore, and she wants time. She said she loves him, but she isn't in love with him. Jimena says she tells Mike, I love you, but she's honest, and for her, love is a big word. If she doesn't feel it, how can she say she's in love with him? Jimena says she needs time, but Mike doesn't understand. Nelsie says what bothers her is that things were different when he was in New York before meeting her, and when Jimena had not met Mike yet in person, 
and Mike had not met her yet in person, uh, things were different. And then when Jimena and Mike met, everything changed. Jimena tells Nelsie, yes, because of how Mike's behavior is, how Mike acts, how he is, how he behaves. Jimena tells Nelsie when she lays down to sleep and she feels Mike watching her, she wakes up and it prevents her from being able to sleep and he's there just staring at her like a weird bug. He doesn't sleep or let Jimena sleep either. She can't sleep, so she has to have him sleep separately in a different room. Mike asks Nelsie to translate, so she tells him in English what was said. Mike tells Nelsie about the staring in her sleep thing, that he didn't mean it in a creepy way. He was just admiring her beauty as she slept. Nelsie asks Jimena what she likes about Mike. Jimena says she loves him. She says the time they had were together before, it was very different when he was there. Now things have changed because Jimena knows how he is, how he burps a lot, how he has thousands of degenerate behaviors and manners that are slobbish and piggish, and she doesn't know how to explain it to Mike how to change those things. Nelsie explains to Mike that she asked Jimena what she likes about him, and rather than explaining what she likes, she listed all the things that she doesn't like about Mike. Nelsie tells Mike, look, she isn't even happy to be near you, I don't think. Nelsie says she personally wouldn't want to be with somebody like that. Nelsie asks Jimena, if you don't want to be with Mike, don't you feel bad that you've taken all the money he has given you that doesn't bother you at all, that you've taken all this money from him? Jimena says, no, no. And then she says, thank you. She said because she didn't work when she after she met Mike and her kids had everything they needed, but she can work like she did before. Nelsie asks, so you worked before when you met Mike, you stopped working? And Amena says, yes, she stopped working when she met Mike and Mike was helping her out with everything. Nelsie tells Mike he never told her that Jimena stopped working when they met and Mike has been supporting her financially, supporting her kids, paying her rent, paying her bills. Nelsie asks Mike if he has been paying for everything and he says yes. Nelsie tells Mike she hopes he stops paying for all of Jimena's stuff. She says Jimena is disgusted by him and that she isn't happy with Mike and that she doesn't think Jimena loves Mike at all. She tells Mike that Jimena isn't there for the right reasons. Mike says he will see when the next flight out is. Mike tells Jimena he is giving her the space she wants and he hopes they can still talk and be friends. Jimena asks Mike if he's ending things with her and we are left with a cliffhanger. I hope Mike ends stuff and gets on a plane. Next time on Before the 90 Days, the translator sits with Memphis and Hamza's mom. The mom is worried Memphis's psychological and financial problems from her past will affect Hamza and their relationship together. Memphis says she'll be as respectful as possible, but she starts pointing her finger at Hamza's mom and says she's really getting to her. And the night before, Ben texted Mahogany all the answers she needed, but he got no response back. Ben feels that Mahogany is checked out and he doesn't know what he is doing pursuing their relationship. Ella is FaceTiming Johnny. She says she needed physical attention, so she called over a friend and they talked and cuddled and had sex. Johnny cried, saying it's very hard to hear. She's crying and whining because she sees on his face he's very upset and she feels bad about it. Jasmine received a message threatening that her nudes will be all over the internet. Gino tells Jasmine he doesn't think she should worry about it. Jasmine says Gino is acting like a jerk, not taking it seriously. Jasmine wonders what position she has put herself in. Jasmine tells Gino he has a problem. She walks away saying, fucking depressing man. Jimena tells Mike to stay and see if they can come up with a solution. And Nelsie tells Mike it's because she wants Mike to pay for stuff. Nelsie tells Mike Jimena does does not deserve him and Mike doesn't deserve to be treated this way. Nelsie tells Mike to leave tomorrow. 
Kim asks Usman why he would bring her down there to shoot a video about another woman. Usman says, this is funny. She asks, you think it's funny? He says, it's very funny. And she throws her water on him and walks away. I think Jasmine needs to get the fuck out. I think Gino has already shown how much he values Jasmine and the little level of respect he has for her. And there should never have been a second chance. I think Mike needs to grow a backbone and get some common sense. I think Jimena is very clear that she uses Mike for money. It's not like she's hiding it. At one point after the first trip when he proposed, I did root for them when I saw how interactive and supportive he was with her kids. And uh, Jimena genuinely seemed touched by the proposal. But Jimena did a 180 after no more money was provided for the boob surgery. And it was crystal clear at that point that 100% her motivation is a million percent in the wrong place. Uh, I never thought they were a match made in heaven. With Hamza in Memphis, I don't think 10 years from now they'll be together. That does it for this episode of Before the 90 Days. Please like, comment, and subscribe. If you guys are listening to my podcast and you're interested in a more interactive dialogue, feel free to check out my YouTube page, 90 Day with Mary Jane K. Also, I have an, another YouTube, Sister Wives with Mary Jane K. Thank you so much for listening. See you guys next week. Bye. Bye.